What comforts you in times of trouble? If comfort is just relief from pain, um, a little bit of joy in the middle of pain, and that's how the dictionary pretty much defines it, there's lots of comforts available to us, aren't there? I mean, I wonder if you've ever found comfort or escape from trouble in any of these things. A block of chocolate, a bowl of ice cream, a cup of tea, vegging out in front of the TV and just forgetting about your troubles for the day, a romance novel, distract you from the problems in your own marriage, an attractive woman in a magazine, a glass of wine or a glass of beer, and then another one, and then another one, or some other form of alcohol or, or drug or medication, or maybe just throwing yourself into your work so you don't have time to think about your troubles. So there's lots of comforts available. There's lots of things that can make us feel better. But that's not the kind of comfort that Paul has in mind here in 2 Corinthians 1. What does it mean that God is the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort? What is the comfort that God offers to us in our troubles? Now, to answer that question, I don't want to start at verse 3, um, which is the great verse, but at verse 1 of 2 Corinthians. See, 2 Corinthians is not just this out there, timeless piece of truth about comfort. It's actually a letter from someone to someone, and we find that out in verse 1. See, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So this letter is from the apostle Paul and Timothy, and it's to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Achaia, that region. 2 Corinthians is a letter written by Paul to a church in Corinth. Now, let me tell you, if ever there was a church in trouble that needed comfort, it was this church in Corinth. The church in Corinth was full of trouble. And in fact, we can trace a little bit of their troubles uh, through the book of Acts, especially Acts 18, and then reading into 1 Corinthians. Um, I've got a bit of a map up there, just so that you don't go reading those um, Presbyterian Pulse magazines. This will keep you interested, I hope. In Acts 18, we're told that Paul visited Corinth. And the church in Corinth was started, and he was there a year and a half, and then he left them. But they kept in contact. So the Corinthians would write to Paul and send people to Paul, and Paul would write back to them. But it seems that things went pretty badly, pretty quickly. And so Paul uh, travels up to Ephesus, uh, where he stayed for quite a while starting the church at Ephesus, just across the sea from Corinth. And so Paul is now receiving lots of news from Corinth and the church is having problems. People are arguing, they're fighting. Paul's left and so now there's arguments about who the new leaders are. People are suing each other. There's sexual immorality in the church. And in response, Paul writes a letter from Ephesus across to them. That's called 1 Corinthians. It's actually his second letter. Now things don't get much better, so Paul sends Timothy over to Corinth to sort things out. But that doesn't work. And so Paul himself makes an emergency visit over to Corinth. He calls it in his letter a painful visit, a visit full of tears. But still there's problems in Corinth. And so now he sends Titus over to Corinth. And then he writes them a third letter. Now, we don't have the third letter. Maybe they ripped it up in anger. 
Maybe they were just so embarrassed by what was in it, they didn't let anyone read it. Maybe it just got lost. We don't know, but we don't have three Corinthians, okay? Um, By the time Paul writes two Corinthians, which is actually his fourth letter to them, we just call it two because we only have two of the four, Paul is up at Macedonia and he's on his way to visit them, to sort things out. It'll be his third visit. And it's from up there in Macedonia, on his way to visit, that he writes to Corinthians. It's like the letter that's going to come before his visit. So he's visited them twice. He's written three letters. He sent Timothy. He sent Titus. All this over a period of four or five or six years. It's a real mess. And then to make things worse, there is now new leaders in the church in Corinth and they're bagging out Paul. They're, ba- they're preaching stuff that is not true and they're saying that they are better than Paul. Listen to some of the things that Paul says about them over in 2 Corinthians 11 in this letter. If someone comes to you, Corinthians, and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. But I do not think that I am in the least inferior to these super apostles. Okay, that's Paul's nickname for these people in Corinth who are leading them astray, super apostles. These people are after power. Uh, Chapter 10, we say they're trying to win over the Corinthian church. Now, what better way to come into a church and win over the people than to criticize their previous pastor? And that's what they do with Paul. And you can just imagine the kind of things they were saying. This church has so many problems, it's Paul's fault. He's weak. He's not a good leader. He's gone and left you. Everywhere he goes now, he gets beaten up and kicked out of town. Some leader, he's unimpressive. He's not a trained speaker. You can find most of those things later on in 2 Corinthians 7 and 10 and 11, those kind of accusations. And it seems that because of all these charges against Paul, the Corinthians are starting to actually doubt Paul. Now, let me tell you, it would be discouraging enough trying to look after a church like the Corinthians with all their troubles. But then to have people step in and start to criticize your ministry and call you weak and unimpressive and not a real apostle, that'd be pretty tough. And so with all that in the background, with all that trouble, it's interesting to see how Paul starts his letter. To this church. In the face of criticism, if it was me, I would get defensive. If someone said about DPC, well, you know, DPC is not very friendly, I'd start saying, oh, but we are very friendly and listing off all the, all the friendly things we do. Now, Paul doesn't start by defending himself, listing off all his credentials, cataloguing all the miracles he performed, showing how powerful a preacher he is. He basically says, yeah, I'm weak. I'm a mess. Isn't it great that we have a God who comforts us in our troubles? Because if God is the God of comfort and he's comforted me, then maybe, Corinthians, he can comfort you in your troubles too. Look at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. 
Let me tell you, that is exactly what the Corinthian church needs. God's compassion and his comfort. Because if he came in power, they'd be wiped out. Now, how does God's comfort come? Well, it comes through the gospel. In verse 5, we see, Just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. See, the gospel is the gospel of comfort. The good news that Jesus died for sins, that we can be forgiven from sins, and then that he rose again and that he'll return and that those who trust him will be raised with him. That's the gospel of comfort, that there's more to life than just this life. There's actually a new creation coming with no more crying, no more pain, and it's a certainty. That's the gospel of comfort. Now, the comfort that's on view here is not uh, what perhaps I thought when I first read it, that I've been through some problems and you've been through some problems and if we've been through the same problems, like I've had a certain kind of cancer and you've had a certain kind of cancer, then we've got something in, in common and when I sit down next to you, there's comfort. Now, there is some comfort in that, isn't there? But that's not what this passage is talking about. You don't actually need Jesus for that kind of comfort. That can happen between any two people who've been through the same kind of struggle. This word here for comfort means more to encourage, to persuade, to get along someone and side someone and urge them on for a particular cause. It has content to it. This comfort actually points people to Jesus. It's gospel comfort. This comfort produces the ability to keep going when times are hard. Let's read on verse 6. If we're distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. See, the gospel helps us to keep going because it tells us that one day God will set things right. Now, that truth of future hope is what gave Paul comfort in his troubles. Look at verse 8. He talks about a particular instance when he faced death. He was about to die. Verse 8. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. Paul's looking to the future. I have a friend who was 10 years ago now in hospital with a very dark, deep depression. One of the worst periods of his life. Uh, No hope, no way out, he he described it. He ended up with over 20 um, treatments of shock treatment. Um, to help him through it. Now, I was just talking to this fellow this last week, and he said that what got him through that time was a fellow from church who simply visited him, visited him every day and said, it's okay, you'll get better. Every day he visited him with the news, it's okay, you'll get through it. Now, you can only say that because of the gospel. Because if it's only about this life, you can't promise 
that it will ever get any better. See, we have no guarantee that in this life it will be over. It might not be. But because Jesus has risen from the dead, we can guarantee that one day it will be over. One day God will say enough and there will be no more crying or mourning and pain. So we can say to people, you'll get through it. It will be over. And that promise of a secure future is a comfort that can comfort us in any trouble that you'll face. Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. See, I don't have to be going through the same trouble that you're going through to comfort you because the comfort doesn't come from the particular trouble. The comfort comes from God. In fact, there's a sense in which as Christians all our struggles are the same, even if they're different. Look at verse 6. If we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. Now, Paul and the Corinthians are actually going through different sufferings. Paul's in jail and, and suffering beatings for sharing the gospel. The Corinthians are just struggling in a messy church to stay followers of Jesus while their church is falling apart. But Paul describes them as the same sufferings. It's the sufferings of trying to trust God when we're in trouble. It's the sufferings of living in a world full of trouble that we don't belong to while we follow Jesus and wait for his return. That's just normal part of the Christian life. Which I think is a very important point, isn't it? God does not promise to rescue us from our trouble. God promises to comfort us in our trouble. Now there's lots of people that think that being a Christian somehow means that perhaps your life will be free from troubles. That you won't be lonely or you won't get picked on at school or that your kids will turn out okay. God doesn't promise any of those things. Wasn't true for Paul, wasn't true for the church in Corinth. It's not true for us. But, but it's a very attractive, isn't it? It's attractive to be told that if you follow Jesus, your life will be free from troubles. In fact, that's why the Corinthians were probably so keen about these new super apostles. It sounds much better to be told that God wants you to have a blessed life free from troubles rather than God wants to comfort you in your troubles. I mean, I did a search at Kurong during the week. They, if you type in weakness, they have 17 books. If you type in power, they have over 700. Now, look, maybe that's just how you sell a book. I'd probably prefer to buy a book on power than weakness. But you've got to wonder when, what people are thinking when Christian bookshops have these kinds of titles. Let me just list a few. The power of being positive, attitudes that attract success, Becoming a person of influence. Look great, feel great. Achieving super immunity. Then there's a whole series of Bible cure. Bible cure for heartburn. Bible cure for weight loss. Bible cure for chronic fatigue. Bible cure for high cholesterol. Bible cure for menopause. Bible cure for headaches. The list goes on for pages. Now, if those books delivered what they promised, we wouldn't have need for the God of comfort. We'd have 
no troubles. We'd have no problems at all. But God is not the God of fix all our problems. He's the God of comfort who offers us hope in our troubles, who offers us the promise of life after death and now the joy of knowing his comfort in our troubles. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying trouble is a good thing. I'm not saying that we should look for it and if your life doesn't have troubles, well, be be thankful to God. The Bible says that this world is not the way God wants it. That's why he has a plan to fix it up. God doesn't like troubles. And in fact, in his compassion, sometimes God does step in and rescue us from a particular trouble, doesn't he? For his glory. In fact, that's what he's done for Paul. Look at verse 10. There was a specific time when Paul was facing a sentence of death and God rescued him in answer to the prayer of the Corinthians. Verse 10, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we've set our hope that he'll continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. See, the Corinthians prayed for Paul to be rescued, and he was. And now he's on his way to visit them. He was delivered from that trouble, and he actually expects that there'll be more troubles along the way, so he asks for the Corinthians to keep praying for him. Suffering and trouble are to be expected. If you live long enough, you will have trouble. So where do you turn to in your troubles? The world offers us many comforts, doesn't it? Quick fixes, distractions, escapes. I wonder if you have a quick quick fix. I wonder if you have somewhere that you retreat to when you're in trouble. See, the problem is the comforts that are offered to us from the world, they can actually rob us from being comforted by the gospel I don't know about you but I know it's certainly true of me I'm at the end of my tether I'm tired I'm feeling pressured I'm I'm just feeling the weight of a, a particular problem and it would be probably the ideal time to just take some time alone and pray and seek the God of comfort you know God promises that don't be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving Present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Is that always where I turn to? No. It's far easier just to slump down in front of the TV, watch it for an hour or two, forget about my problems, and then I'm so tired I just roll into bed and off to sleep. Sadly for me, it often takes a big big piece of trouble before I turn to the gospel for comfort. I only turn there when things are out of control. So those little comforts that might help you get through the day, they might help you sleep better, but they won't help you develop perseverance. They won't help you love God more. They won't help prepare you for deep trouble. So thankfully God does send along some big troubles. 
so that we're forced to find our comfort in him. What a shame that we don't seek all our comfort in the God of comfort. I want to end with a little story. Larry Crabb tells the story of a fellow who came to see him for some counselling. And Larry sat down and he said, how can I help you? The fellow said, I want to feel better quickly. Larry goes, did I hear you right? You want to feel better quickly? He said, yes, I want to feel better quickly. Larry said, well, actually, that's, that's pretty easy. I recommend a couple of loose women, a case of whatever is your favourite alcoholic beverage, and head off to the Bahamas for the weekend. That will make you feel better quickly. If you're here this morning and you want to feel better quickly, you've come to the wrong spot because sin works much better than God for feeling better quickly. If your greatest relief is, if your greatest goal is immediate relief from your trouble, then go for worldly comforts. But it won't last long. And one day you'll find a trouble that that comfort won't work for. But if you're a follower of Jesus, if your greatest goal is not immediate relief from your trouble, but if your greatest goal is to know God more and to please him, then whatever trouble you might be in right now, however bad it may seem, God is offering you comfort. His comfort is something like this. I dare you to trust me that I am working this out for your good. And one day, it will be over. And you'll be with me forever. That's the comfort of the gospel. That's the comfort we can comfort each other with. Let's pray. Our Father God, we praise you with wonder and amazement that you are the God of all comfort. We thank you that you can comfort us in any of our troubles. And Father, we thank you that it doesn't stop there, but we thank you that we can actually comfort each other with the gospel comfort that we've received from you. So, Father, whatever trials we may face, whether they're big or whether they're small, we pray that we might turn to you for comfort. And, Father, when our brothers and sisters in Christ are hurting, we pray that we might be able to have the right words of wisdom to say that we might be a comfort to them. And, Father, thank you that you one day will set this world right. And we pray that we might live in hope of that day, looking forward to it with eager anticipation. And in the meantime, we pray that we might be seeking to know you better and to live lives that please you. Amen.